Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce cost and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash strange. netsuite.com slash strange. netsuite.com slash strange. I'm Laura Norton, and this is One Strange Thing, the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. Today, we want to talk about ice, the freezing cold, breath that seems to crystallize in the air around you, wind that bites down to your bones, that creeping chill that threatens to sneak in and swallow you whole, if you're not careful, if you don't wrap up tight. And that unsettling thing about getting cold, that you don't realize you're in danger, Because, right at the end, you feel unnaturally calm and, so they say, very warm. There is a poem by the American romantic writer Emily Dickinson. She was known mostly for staying inside a lot and writing things that make excellent goth yearbook quotes. Anyway, she once wrote some lovely lines, comparing a calm moment in an emotional maelstrom to... Well, the act of freezing to death. Not the most cheerful topic or metaphor, but there's a reason why she was called the poet of dread. Anyway, the stanza goes like this. This is the hour of lead, remembered, if outlived, as freezing persons recollect the snow, first chill, then stupor, then the letting go. Emily, or... Miss Dickinson, if you're strange, has evoked quite the experience there. How would a freezing person, if they were to survive, recollect the snowstorm that consumed them? A writer named Peter Stark was so taken with Dickinson's premise here that he named an essay after these famous lines. And in that essay, he described an what would be fair to call excruciating, if extremely well-written detail, death by hypothermia. In the essay, his character is stranded after a car crash in an icy winter wonderland that soon turns, as you might guess, into a nightmare. It's written in the second person, 
You know, like your favorite choose-your-own-adventure books, but way more of a downer. Now, in Peter Stark's essay, the you character is pulled back from the brink of death at the very last moment by medical intervention. But the reader gets a thorough taste of what Dickinson must have been imagining in all that snow. We're talking about a kind of chill that lowland bones can't even fathom, a Minnesota winter. Now, some of you out there are probably from Minnesota, and you likely have excellent tires and a winter jacket that could repel a Yeti, and for that, we salute you. But for much of the United States, it's difficult to imagine the kind of cold that some of our northern and midwestern friends face. It's not just the day-to-day -day inconvenience of living, the de-icing, the snow shoveling. It's the, you know, possibility of dying. Because all that cold, it can be absolutely dangerous. The kind of dangerous Peter Stark wrote about in his essay. In fact, it's easy to imagine that he might have been thinking about something like today's story when he began his research. After all, it's rare for a person who freezes to get the chance to remember it. Because, more often than not, they won't be recollecting anything ever again. The protagonist of today's tale, Jean Hilliard, she was used to the cold. The 19-year-old had grown up in rural Minnesota, close to the town of Langby, where the population barely topped 100, and the wintertime temperatures hovered around 12 degrees Fahrenheit. This little town, which once had been a railroad depot, might not have been known for much more than its inclusion in the Greater Grand Forks municipality. That is, of course, if it wasn't for Jean Hilliard. In 1980, she put Little Langby, Minnesota on the cultural map, or at least, on Wikipedia. As you might imagine, there wasn't much to do in the area. In Langby and surrounding towns, teenagers had few choices for entertainment. It was mostly farmland, spotted here and there with townships and communities with names like Gully and Fisher and Fertile. That being the case, most people under retirement age, and most over it too, might well be headed to the same few spots. According to NPR News, in Jean Hilliard's case, that bastion of small-town nightlife, it was the local American Legion. Now, our listeners under a certain age, or from urban settings, or, well, not from the United States, might not know exactly what we're talking about. Put simply, the American Legion is a veterans organization that functions as a kind of civic and social club. And many areas, especially smaller towns and more rural ones, will have an American Legion Hall, where well-attended and regular activities are held. Though the halls exist in most every city, they tend to become gathering places for towns where there isn't a lot of variety. At the very least, American Legion bars are open to the public and will often have activities like pool, darts, the usual. On the night of December 20th, 1980, Jean Hilliard had been out at just such an American Legion bar, spending time with friends. Per NPR News, she'd been in the tiny town of Faustin, along with a boy she was dating and a number of other acquaintances, including a local cattle rancher named Wally Nelson. We'll get back to Wally in a minute. 
Jean had driven herself to Faustin and planned to drive herself back. And though the roads could be treacherous, her parents were confident in their daughter's driving skills. According to the Tyler Morning Telegraph, Jean's father, who'd spent time working in Alaska, had always prepared his family well for cold weather travel. They knew they were supposed to carry blankets, flares, extra layers. But unfortunately, practice does not always make perfect. Accidents happen, and late that December evening, as Jean drove the family car home from her night out, well, an accident happened. According to The Australian, Jean's tire slipped on the icy road, and her car skidded right into a ditch. And because the family's Ford only had rear-wheel drive, and per NPR News, no anti-lock brakes, she was unable to get the car back on the road. Keep in mind, this was a world before most people had cell phones. And that late at night, it was unlikely another car would pass by chance on such a desolate stretch of road. According to the Tyler Morning Telegraph, Jean was afraid that if she sat in the car too long, running the heater, she might end up with carbon monoxide poisoning. So, as she told numerous outlets, she decided to set out and seek help. She thought that she could see some farmhouses in the near distance. And Jean wasn't wrong. She trudged through the snow and came upon two. But per the Star Democrat, no one was home at either location. There would be no help for Jean Hilliard there. Luckily, she had another potential solution. Remember that acquaintance, Wally Nelson, who she'd seen at the American Legion? Per NPR, he was a friend of the young man Jean had been dating, and she knew enough about him to remember that he lived in the area where she was now stranded. In fact, if she kept walking, Jean was pretty sure she'd reach his property in no time. It didn't even deter her that, according to the Associated Press, her only winter wear was mittens, a jacket, and cowboy boots, and the temperature outside was already in the 20s. As she trudged on, she lost track of how long she'd been walking, but she was already a good distance from the car. So what other choice did she have? I didn't think Wally's was that far away, and yet the house never seemed to grow any closer. In an NPR interview, Jean remembered that every time I started climbing another hill, I was sure I would see his house from the other side, and then I didn't. Truth is, I was more frustrated than scared. Finally, after hours of walking, Jean made it to Wally's property. But then, she didn't walk up to his door and into the warmth and safety. Per the Associated Press, Jean said, The last thing I remember seeing is his driveway. And what did Wally Nelson see? Well, poor Wally Nelson had already had quite a night. You see, per NPR, Wally had brought home a very nice lady from the American Legion, one who'd elected to spend the evening with him, and he awoke that morning in an excellent mood. When he glanced out his window, he was probably expecting to see a glorious morning that reflected his own personal triumph. Instead, there was a frozen woman, stiffened like an icicle, splayed across his front lawn. Wally later told the Wichita Eagle, Whew, what a shocker it was. There she lay, only 15 feet from my front door. 
Her face was ghost-like and her body was stiff as a pulp stick. You could see where she'd crawled out the last few feet before collapsing. You could also see where she'd fallen three or four times from the mailbox, one-eighth of a mile down the road. I figured she was dead, but then I thought I heard a slight moan. Even though Wally admitted to NPR News that it was an awkward situation on account of his overnight houseguest, he enlisted his lady friend's help in maneuvering Jean into the car, which, by the way, is still not the worst first date we've ever been on, and together they rushed the frozen girl to the nearest hospital in Foston. That rural hospital was staffed by the Sather brothers, all longtime physicians who had experience with the ravages of cold weather. But they'd never seen a case quite like Jean's. When Wally Nelson arrived in the early morning of December 21st, Dr. George Sather was in shock. To his eyes, the young woman looked like a frozen piece of meat. Per the Wichita Eagle, Dr. George Sather's first reaction was much like Wally's. I thought she was dead, but then we picked up an extremely faint whimper. Upon examination, he noted that her pupils were dilated, her eyeballs were frozen solid, her feet were frozen in the shape of her boots. There was immediate concern about how they might treat Jean. Not only was it a small hospital with little in the way of high-tech gear, Jean's condition was also a logistical problem. Dr. George Sather told the Star Democrat, We were unable to flex her joints and get her into a bathtub of warm water. That's why we had to use these warm, moist pads all around. And he was also quoted in the Detroit Free Press. All we could do was give her oxygen and apply moist heat. Her mouth was frozen shut, so we couldn't take an oral temperature. They also weren't able to give her an IV because needles couldn't pierce her skin. That was concerning because her vital signs were almost non-existent. As Dr. George Sather explained to the Associated Press, I've never heard of respiration any lower than 12 breaths per minute, much less two or three, and I've only seen heartbeats down in the 30s right after heart attacks. Still, Dr. Sather began the best treatment he could and prayed for her recovery. And he wasn't the only one at the tiny hospital who was praying. Per NPR News, an especially religious staffer called her pastor and asked that a prayer chain be established for Jean. When Jean's story would later be dramatized on Unsolved Mysteries, it would seem as if the whole county was praying for her to pull through, and we can't say if that's true or false. However, we can say this. The pastor did begin that chain, and one by one calls were made through the congregation until a significant portion of the devoted were focusing their energy on Jean's recovery. And a few hours later, Jean Hilliard, the girl who'd been, quote, frozen still as a cord of wood, her muscles began to loosen. Dr. Sather told the New York Times, the reaction didn't appear until two or three hours after she started thawing out. Her eyes, which had been solid and clouded, cleared. Soon, she was able to speak. Per numerous news sources, Jean's first concern upon waking? She was worried her father would be angry about the car. After all, she had left it stuck in a ditch. 
The doctors warned Jean's family that she'd likely suffer from severe frostbite. And as the first articles on her case appeared, there was some rather frightening talk of amputating both her legs. But within a week, they'd whittled down that possibility to just a few toes. And a year later, when the Akron Beacon Journal published an update on her case, they mentioned a full recovery. Jean had simply suffered some scarring. No frostbite, no cognitive damage, and certainly no amputations. This, even though she'd lain outside for six hours in the snow and arrived at the hospital with a body temperature hovering somewhere around 66 degrees. As Jean's mother Bernice told reporters, I don't really know how she could survive. She's always just been a happy-go-lucky teenager, but I didn't know she was this strong. So, how was it possible? Jean herself explained to the Tyler Morning Telegraph, I survived partly because of the man upstairs and because I was caught in a dry, dry cold. When it's wet cold, your body temperature drops quickly and you're gone. I was literally freeze-dried, put into a condition of hibernation. And what did Jean remember about the whole ordeal? Not much, really. It's more or less like I dreamed about it. It's really eerie when you think about it. But she did have a message for others who might be caught out in winter storms. Have respect for nature. Don't think it can't happen to you because I know it so easily can. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Have you ever wondered what it feels like to be attacked by an alligator? Or what goes through one's mind as they're stranded in a snowstorm? What Was That Like is the podcast for you. Real people come on every episode to explain the unbelievable situations they've been through. Guests share how they really felt during their most surreal experiences. They tell us what they did the morning before an earthquake, how it feels to win The Price is Right, and all sorts of details that you'd never learn anywhere else. If you're interested in hearing disturbing and inspiring firsthand stories, What Was That Like is the podcast you've been looking for. Every story is thoroughly researched and fact-checked, so you know that even the most unrealistic are someone's reality. Listen to What Was That Like wherever you get your podcasts. Fifteen years later, in 1995, the television show Unsolved Mysteries would go on to tell Jean's story with a major focus on the prayer circle, the miraculous recovery of the frozen girl, or as some called her, the human ice cube. It was presented as a true miracle. Well, maybe. 
maybe not. The whole miracle claim did rub some scientists the wrong way, mostly because Jean was hardly the only person to recover from severe hypothermia. To be fair, people actually recover from such things every single year. You see, a cold body is not necessarily a dead body, or as eloquently explained by Dr. Richard Isaac, Associate Director of the Boston Emergency Center to the Herald Journal, there is a term we have. No one is dead until he's warm and dead. In fact, frigid temperatures can actually protect your brain. Per Richard Young of Hershey Medical Center, this is why you should always try to revive someone who appears to be frozen. Per the Herald Journal, quote, some physicians even suggest that failure to continue treatment with these patients may help explain why survivors are so rare. The Herald points out that for some surgeries, patients' core temperatures are drastically reduced on purpose to protect their brains from disrupted blood flow. What's more, some doctors question the original conceit of the story that Jean Hilliard had ever been the frozen girl at all. Because, technically speaking, being frozen, really, truly frozen, would mean death on a cellular level. According to Dr. K. Alvin Marandino of the University of Washington Medical School, who spoke with the Star Democrat, Jean could have not actually been a human popsicle. He claimed her stiffness, quote, was probably due to the resistance of very cold muscles and not from being frozen. He went on to explain that, quote, cells that literally freeze go through a crystal phase in which the fluids actually crystallize like ice. Then the cells are destroyed. When you thaw them out, they're just a mass of nothing. We aren't entirely sure what that means, but it does not sound optimal. So, if we're following the doctors here, Jean Hilliard wasn't frozen-frozen. She was nearly frozen. Brought back from the brink, so to speak. Many others have been, over the years, though it's certainly true that more die than live. And the others who've survived? As far as we can tell, they haven't had the added benefit of their very own local prayer circle, no matter how much unsolved mysteries might make of that particular element. We at One Strange Thing offer no opinion either way on the power of prayer to enact a miracle. As with all things unexplainable, we're here to deliver the story to you, not to tell you what to think about it. But many of the scientists who heard of Jean were less neutral on the subject. They said that there were clear explanations as to why she survived, the same reasons that anyone would. And they were right, except for one strange thing. Jean's case included one more factor that made it special. Even the most skeptical doctors have admitted as much. According to NPR News, the strangest thing about Jean's survival is where it occurred. University of Minnesota professor Dr. David Plummer told their reporters in 2018, These days, doctors use a special device that pumps the patient's blood through a heater, warming their vital organs from the inside. In 1980, at the rural Foston Hospital, 
All they had were some heating pads and a lot of prayer. Ultimately, the hospital where Jean landed had none of the equipment that was necessary to save her. They couldn't even administer the usual basic treatments, the warm bath, the IV, that would have helped. And yet she lived. Now, we don't want to throw around the word miraculous all willy-nilly, but, well... In any case, Jean went on to enjoy some notoriety, as you might imagine. She appeared on TV in yearly articles updating locals on her recovery. She told reporters that she felt that she might have been saved for a purpose. She occasionally lectured young people on the dangers of cold weather. But after a few years, life went on. According to the Grand Forks Herald, she married, had children, she divorced, stayed close to home, first working at Walmart and later studying social work at Bemidji State College. If there had been some great achievement she was meant for, if there were some world-changing reasons she was defrosted, brought back from the brink as she and her family believed, Jean expressed in later interviews that she hadn't discovered it yet. But who says that she needed to, or ever needs to? Does a miracle, as Jean would think of it, or the unexplainable, as others might prefer, need some sort of tit-for-tat payoff. Can't it be enough that one night in December, a 19-year-old collapsed on frozen ground, her muscles stiffening, her eyes clouded over, and that she should have died, but she didn't. That she thawed, literally, from the deepest freeze a human can survive. The chill and the stupor, as Emily Dickinson wrote, but Jean Hilliard didn't let go. Seems meaningful all on its own, if you ask us. No metaphors required, although they're always a nice touch. We hope you'll join us next time for another real-life story from the fine print of America's local papers, from the lives of regular people, just like you and me, except for one strange thing. Oh, and strangers. One Strange Thing is an entirely independent production. To support our show and hear more of the entirely true and enticingly peculiar, join us over on Patreon. There, you'll get ad-free early releases of our regular episodes, full-length bonus episodes, and plenty of other fun content. All for $5 a month. We hope you'll check it out. There's a link in the show notes. Mm-hmm.